If you have your Bibles this morning, please find Mark chapter 3. And as you're finding Mark chapter 3, I have a card I would like to read to you this morning. Ten Mile Church. We want to thank our Ten Mile family for all the love and support given to us during the loss of my wife and our mother, Mary Lou Elliston. The service, flowers, gifts, music, and meal were such a blessing to us. You loving us makes our loss less painful. Sincerely, Louis Elliston, Dwight, and Elisa Bishop, and John and Stacy Soares. And so continue to pray for them during the time of their loss. Mark chapter 3. We have been looking at the issue of the heart. Starting in verses 1 through 6, we looked at the religious leaders and how Jesus showed up and reminded them that, hey, the Sabbath, it's about the Lord of the Sabbath, and I am the Lord. So they began to plot to kill him, destroy him. Last week we looked at how the multitudes came to Jesus for healings, for deliverance, but yet they didn't come out of love, they came out of what they could get from him. And when we come to verses 13 through 19, the question is, it really comes to a head because Jesus begins to call his disciples and we see that they are sinners, they have shortcomings, they have failures, but yet we also know that Judas Iscariot is listed in that list. And today as we look through this passage of Scripture, you might say, well, Jake, I'm not an apostle. I'm not one of the twelve disciples. I, I don't have this great, important mission that God has given me. You are mistaken. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the only thing that will keep you from being used by God is your heart. How you respond to the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. You say, well, Jake, I'm already a Christian. I I know that I have been born again. Then my question is, are you yielding your life to the Holy Spirit? Or are you grieving and quenching what He's trying to do? If you're here and you're not a Christian, but yet you know that you've been under conviction, you know the Spirit of God has been dealing with you, then you have missed the first step by saying no. Today you need to respond and trust Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you say, but Jake, my past, my failures, my shortcomings, my mistakes, all the sins that I bring to the table, you need to know that God is able to save and to work and to move regardless of the baggage that you bring. And so today as we come to Mark chapter 3, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, I only have two points this morning. And if you listen well, we'll be done early. The first service did not listen well, and we were not done early. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonagers, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, 
James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. If you would pray with me. Father, today we come thanking you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for your abundance of blessing. But Lord, today we come knowing, Lord, that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And only you can know them. Only you can search them. Only you can save them. Only you can heal them. And so today, Lord, we come and I pray that this church would have a spirit of humility. Lord, that we would respond to you. That we would not harden our hearts as in the days of rebellion. Father, I pray that you would forgive me if there's anything in my heart or my life that would grieve or quench or hinder what your spirit is trying to do in this place. And I give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things this morning I want to like to show you from this text. And the first is that God had a purpose and a plan for their lives. God had a purpose and a plan for their lives. And you say, well, yes, that's evident. But I also want you to know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, for your family, for this church. Look what it says there in verses 13 through 15. And he went up on a mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And to have the power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Now some people will say, well God chose these twelve men to save them, picked them out of the rest and, and didn't worry about the rest. That's not what it's talking about here. We know that this can't be about salvation because Judas Iscariot died apart from Christ. Died without repenting of his sins. So what he's saying here is he had a purpose for their life and things he wanted them to accomplish. Tasks that he wanted to accomplish. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, why did he bring them together? Look there in those verses that he might be with them and that he might send them. To do what? To preach and have the power to heal sickness and cast out demons. You say, well, Jake, I don't have the power to heal or the power to cast out demons, but whatever God has given you, God wants you to use it just like He asked them to use it. So many times we look at our value as what we accomplish for God, but remember this one simple truth, that all spiritual results are God's. God is the only one who can give the increase. He's the only one that can save the lost. He's the only one that can repair a marriage. He's the only one that can heal the sick. He is the only one. We're asked to just be faithful. Faithful with what God has given us. Faithful with the task that God has asked of us. Faithful with the ministry that God has given us. Faithful with the family that God has given us. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 32 as he was being obedient to do God's will, but yet wasn't sure how it was going to work out. Now when I delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing... Too hard for you. Now that's a pretty bold statement. That's a man who is praying, believing that God can. 
And when you read that, I immediately think things like this. Moses crossing dry land. Elijah calling down fire from heaven to destroy his enemies. Those are the kind of powerful miracles that I think of when the Bible says that nothing is too hard for God. But look at what comes next. You show loving kindness to thousands. The greatest miracle that God will ever do in your life is forgiving you of sin. Being able and willing to show compassion and mercy on people who don't deserve it. You say, Jake, our marriage needs a miracle. That is small in comparison to what God did for you at Calvary. You say, Jake, we need a financial blessing. That is small compared to what God did for you on Calvary. Look up here. If God can show compassion and mercy on sinners, Jeremiah is saying, that's why there's nothing impossible for him. There's nothing too hard. Because God is holy and He's perfect and He's righteous and He hung the stars in the sky and He told the ocean it could go so far and everything that He made and He looked at it and said it is good. And yet sin and corruption and death is what we offered but yet He still was willing to love us. And so He says that. You are willing to show loving kindness to thousands. Look what it goes on and says, And repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of the children after them, the great, the mighty God whose name is the Lord of hosts. And don't miss this. You are great in counsel and mighty in work. For your eyes are open to all the ways of the Son of Men to give everyone according to His ways and according to the fruit of His doings. Now we think of that counsel and don't really put it much together, but your Bible might say plan. That God has a great and beautiful plan. And His power is able to accomplish His counsel or His power or His plan that He has for your life. Because look what it goes on and says there. And this is the one that when we start to think about it, it bothers us. That He sees everything. There's nothing in my heart, there's nothing in my mind, there's nothing said in secret that God does not see. And if that doesn't bother you a little bit, it should. Because I know how sinful my heart is. I know how wicked my thoughts can be. I know how selfish my motives can be. And I have to be reminded that, Jake, you might be able to fool everybody else, but you can't fool God. But on the flip side of that, look what it talks about. It's talking about that God sees when you're hurt. God sees when you're wrong. Sees when you're betrayed. God is there in the most vulnerable and broken moments of your life because He cares and He's able to work, and He's able to reward. He's able to right every wrong. He is able to be at work in the moments of your life that you are more embarrassed of than anything. On a regular basis, someone will come up to me and say, Jake, I wish you didn't talk so bad about yourself in the pulpit. And what I always said is, don't you dare think I'm sharing all my secrets because I'm much worse than I would ever tell another soul. But yet God knows me in my brokenness. God knows me in my failures. God knows me in my sin. And is willing to what? 
have compassion on me. To have compassion on you. Look about in the book of Acts chapter 13. They're talking about King David back years ago. And it says these words, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus has overcame corruption and sin and death and the grave. But what it's saying is, David had a purpose to fulfill. And God used him. And when his purpose was over, when his time came to an end, God took him home with him. And today you have to believe that same way. That God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your marriage. God has a purpose in giving you children. God has a purpose in you being a part of this church. And God wants to use you for that purpose and use you well until He's done with you. And when that purpose is over, I believe this with all of my heart, absent from the body is present with the Lord. And so serve Him. Use Him. Let it be said of you that God used you until it was time and then He took you. 1 Peter describes it like this because some of you are looking at me going, well, Jake, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any purpose to serve God. I'm a pew sitter. I bring my gluteus maximus. I put it in a chair. I listen to you scream at us for 40 minutes and then I leave. That's what God wants from me. Look up here. No, it's not. Every Christian has at least one gift given to you by God to use. You say, I'm not in that group. Well, either you're a liar or God is. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says these words. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multiple a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has what? Received a gift. Each one. That means every one of you as a child of God has been created by God, fearfully and wonderfully made, given something specifically by God that you can't pray for, that you can't ask for, that He gave you and says, I want you to use this to bring glory and honor to my name. That might be a gift of singing. It might be the gift of hospitality. It might be the gift of service. It might be the gift of whatever gift it is. But every one of us has at least one. I believe all Christians have more than one. But today you will never find your purpose. You will never find the joy that comes from knowing God's purpose for your life and trusting the plan that He has. These men were called to preach, to deliver people from their demons and sickness and baggage. And today the mission is still the same to reach into a broken and hurting world, to love the lost, to love the wayward, to chase down those who have gone astray, and to share the good news of Jesus with them. Second and final thing I have. These points longer, so please bear with me. God used these men regardless of their backgrounds and failures. Because some of you today will say, well, I can't be used by God because I made this mistake. I can't be used by God because I did this sinful thing. 
I can't be used by God because I was there or here or this happened. But God uses people regardless of their background and failure. Look at this group of men and we'll just very briefly touch on them. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. That is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who he also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Peter and Andrew were brothers who were fishermen. James and John were fishermen, but their dad was wealthy enough to have not only them fishing, but other servants fishing with them. Some of the men from this list were tax collectors, hated because of their profession. Some of them were Jewish nationalists that believed that they ought to raise up an army, overthrow the Romans, and was willing to die for that. Some of the disciples came from regions of Israel that didn't like the other ones that looked down at them because of their background and intermarriage with foreigners. This group of men was not perfect. They had faults, they had sins, they had struggles, they had pasts. But yet God used them. In Matthew chapter 26, in verses, I think it's 25 through 30, one of the most special events in the New Testament happens. Jesus partakes of the Lord's Supper with His disciples. He has washed their feet. He has broken bread with them. He has partaken of all of that with them, taught them what it meant. Can you imagine that? Partaking of the Lord's Supper, having your feet washed by the Lord Himself, the spiritual and emotional high that you would be on. Man, this couldn't get any better. But I want you to see what Jesus tells them in the verse right after that. Starting in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you. I'd be sitting there thinking, Oh yeah, here comes the blessings. We've followed Him. We've served Him. We've walked with Him. We've trusted Him. We've relied on Him. We've seen what He could do. We've seen Him heal. We've seen Him raise the dead. We've seen what He can do in a storm. This Imagine the blessing that's coming to us. But He says, All of you will be made to stumble because of Me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. We know from the reading of the New Testament that it happened. Peter denied him three times. The disciples abandoned him. Only John stayed within a distance close enough. But I want you to see something about how the resurrection changes everything. Look what it says in verse 32. But after I have been raised... I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if you are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And said all the disciples. And so we see these men who God used after the resurrection to take the gospel to the whole known world. Some scholars believe they took it into India and England and and all over. 
But yet they all denied the Lord. They all came with their own baggage, their own brokenness, their own ideas. But yet when Jesus changes you, everything changes. You see, these men had the same opportunity as the religious leaders. But listen to what the Bible says about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. In Luke chapter 7 it says, For I say to you, Among those born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. He's saying that even the people that the religious people looked down on, who no one wanted anything to do with, the tax collectors, the scum of the earth, glorified God because of what had happened in their life. But listen to this next statement. But the Pharisees and lawyers, the scribes, the religious leaders, rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. This is extremely important this morning because all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have been created by God to accomplish things for Him. The question is, not if God loves you, not if God has a purpose for you, not if God has a plan for you. The question is, when the Spirit deals with you, what will you do? Will you be like the religious leaders of the day and say, yes, I know that's what the Bible says. Yes, I believe that's what the Bible says. But when the moment comes to confess, the moment comes to repent, the moment comes to turn and say, this is not the direction I'm supposed to be doing and going, God, I'm going to turn to you. It's no. Listen to what is said about Judas Iscariot. And what I believe was the moment that revealed his heart toward the Lord. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. I made this statement in the first service. I'm going to make it in the second one. And I know you've not been very lively this morning, so your anger will not be on display. Judas was as close to Jesus as you could be. He was trusted. He was relied on. He was wicked. And you need to know something. There will be people who sit on the same row of chairs with you in this church that can be wicked. There can be preachers stand behind this desk and be wicked. There are Sunday school teachers, deacons, committee members, people that serve in the nursery, that friends are here not because they love Jesus, but because there's something else in their heart. They say, Jake, that's awful close to home. It's just the truth. If it happened to Jesus, who do we think we are that we're above our Master? And I say this to you this morning because each of us can allow pride to come into our hearts. 
You can serve God for years and something happened where pride and unforgiveness begins to deal in your heart or in my heart and it can make us bitter. It can make us angry. It can make us in rebellion to the things that God has for our lives. The question is not if it will happen to you. It is a question of when. All of us will struggle with sin, with betrayals of other people, with issues of our heart. It's not a matter of if, it's just when. It's what sermon. It's what song. It's what meeting. It's what one comment. And in those moments, we have a choice to make. Are we willing to give our lives and hearts totally to God and to show the evidence of our salvation? Or does God allow those things to come into our lives so that we act like we really feel in our hearts to reveal the fact that we're missing something? You see, this lady that broke this fragrant oil did it to anoint Jesus because she loved Him, because she was preparing for what was to come. And what she meant as an act of love and compassion, it revealed that Judas's heart was not in the right place. And friends, today you might be going through trouble in your marriage. You might be going through difficulties at church. You might be struggling with things at work and you don't understand why, but it might be because God is trying to show you that there is something in your life that shouldn't be there. That you've got sin that you've hidden. You've got unforgiveness that you've hidden. You've never truly been born again. You've been going through the motions. You've been baptized. You've been a member of this church, but yet you've never truly been saved. You say, I don't like the inconvenience. You ought to be thankful that God is rattling the cage that you're hiding in. You ought to be thankful that God has allowed the fire to be turned up just a little bit in your life to really understand, do I trust God? Do I rely on God? Am I depending on Him? Or am I just with Him when it's well? You see, there are two responses to a sermon like this. One, you can believe that the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God into your life. And you can have a heart that's moldable, responsive, and turns to God. Or you can hear it, agree with it, and leave the same way that you can. Listen to how Judas responded after betraying the Lord. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. He was sorry. He was upset. And brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Friends, he admitted it. He even believed it. But he was not willing to what? Repent. Friends, some of you will sit in church your whole life and you'll amen And you'll even serve. But deep down in your heart, you know that you have not allowed Him to be the Lord of your life. Forgiveness sounds great, but the fact that He is in charge, the fact that He leads you, guides you, directs you, that's not something you're willing to give up. And I want you to know this morning that if He gets you, He gets all of you. When God saves you, He saves all of you. You say, well, Jake, what's the right response? 
I'm very thankful that you asked. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the sermon was this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What that means this morning is this, if you are here, and when you begin to pray and ask the Lord to show you, Lord, let your Spirit search me, Reveal to me, am I truly a child of yours? If there begins to be doubt, insecurity, a lack of confidence in Him, friends, there's a problem. But what He says is repent. That means I'm going to turn from my selfishness. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to turn from my rebellion and turn to a Lord and Savior who loves me, who cares about me, who died for me, who gave His life on Calvary for my sins and for yours and be saved. And the Bible tells us that what comes after that is unlike anything you will ever experience outside of the Lord. A refreshing from the presence of the Lord. What does that look like? That means that you can lay your head on your pillow knowing that you should be guilty, but that you're no longer guilty. That means when Satan comes at you at the shame and mistakes that you've made, you know that you're guilty. You know that it's real, but that shame has all been taken. It means the peace that can come to you that surpasses all understanding. It's joy unspeakable. It's joy in circumstances that don't make sense. It's having hope when there is no hope from a world standpoint. It is a refreshing that comes from Him. You say, well, Jake, I'm already saved. I'm already a child of God. I don't see how this applies to me. Every day, you ought to be returning to God in love and mercy. God, forgive me. You don't get re-saved every day. You get saved once. God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. He puts you in the palm of His hand. Nothing can separate you from Him. But friends, daily we come back to Him in an attitude of thanksgiving. God, thank You for loving me. God, thank You for dying for me. Lord, forgive me for any sin and and, and shortcomings in my life. Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. The relationship that comes from Him. The Lord will bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. You say, well, Jake, I don't really understand what the point of that was. The question is, how are you going to respond? Not anyone else. Don't look at your neighbor and say, well, I come to church more than them. Or I don't say as near as many bad words as them. Or our marriage is a whole lot better than the preacher's. The standard that we measure up to is the perfection of God. And we are unable to measure. We all fall short. But yet we have a God who loves us so much that He sent His only Son to live a perfect life. To become that perfect sacrifice that willingly, no man taketh my life, went to the cross. Willingly allowed them to put him on the cross when he could have spoken 
himself off the cross. He could have called out multitudes of angels, but he willingly stayed there to take your sin and my sin and to die. To take the wrath of God on the cross, to be buried, and then three days later, rise from the dead, conquering sin and death and the grave. And just like Jesus told the disciples, after I am raised, you'll be different people. Friends, the reason we're different, the reason our lives are changed, it's not because of us, but because of Him and what He has done. And this morning, I ask you that simple question. How will you respond to the purpose and plan that God has for you? How will you respond to the conviction and moving of the Spirit of God? That verse in Luke has stood with me so much this week about the Pharisees and the scribes not obeying the will of God for their life. You say, well, I don't agree with that. I can't help it. That's what it says. And for me, I want to be obedient to God's will and plan for my life. For this church to be obedient to the will and plans of God for us. For the blessings that come from that, the joy that comes from that. As Jesus said, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. And so this morning, whatever that means for you, I pray that you'll respond. Father, I thank you so very, very much for your word. Not my words, it's yours. And Lord, I thank you today to be reminded that you work through broken, sinful people. But Father, I pray that you would help us to have hearts that are moldable, hearts that will respond in humility. Lord, root out the pride in my heart, the pride in this congregation. Anything, God, that is hindering and grieving your spirit as he works. Father, I pray today that you would save. I pray today, Lord, that you would work in homes and in families. Or Lord, just help us to be thankful for what you've done. Lord, help us to have a heart like the disciples to respond to our sin and not just be remorseful like Judas. And so, Father, thank you for what you have done, you are doing, and you will do all for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.